Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. Today I'm talking with Avishai Abrahami, the CEO of Wix. You might know Wix as a website builder. It's a competitor to WordPress and Squarespace. Tons of sites across the web run on Wix. But the web is changing rapidly, and Wix's business today is less about web publishing and more about providing software to help business owners run their entire companies. It's fascinating, and Avishai has built a fascinating structure inside of Wix to make all that happen. Wix is also an Israeli company. Avishai joined from the company's headquarters in Tel Aviv. And I'll just tell you right up front that we talked about Israel's war with Hamas and its impact on the company, and that this conversation was not always comfortable. But more on that in a moment. The main theme of our conversation was, of course, the future of the web, especially a web that seems destined to be overrun by cheap AI-generated SEO spam. I've been asking a lot of people why anyone would really want to build a website in 2023. So many small businesses and creators are turning to platforms like TikTok or Instagram and never giving the web a second thought. Wix is right in the middle of this. The company has invested so heavily in AI that you can now build entire websites by prompting a chatbot on the Wix platform. So I really wanted to ask Avishai how he's thinking about all that AI content on the web, and if it's really helping his customers in the long run if the web becomes synonymous with AI-generated garbage. Like I said, you'll also hear us talk about Wix's role in the moderation stack, because the company sits in a really unique place. On the one end, you have infrastructure providers like Cloudflare, which really don't want to do any moderation and probably shouldn't. On the other end, social networks like Instagram and X do a lot of moderation and probably should. Wix sits right in the middle, alongside other e-commerce and tech platforms like Etsy and Shopify. I asked Avishai about Etsy's recent decision to ban merchandise with the phrase from the river to the sea printed on it, and asked whether Wix would ban the phrase from websites on its platform. It is as complicated a moderation decision as there is. But Avishai is the first person we've had on Decoder who's been willing to say outright that content moderation is not hard. To him, there's a clear line. And you'll hear him explain why Wix doesn't seem to dwell too much on the murkier gray areas of content moderation that major social platforms seem to live in. I also asked Avishai how involved the Israeli government has been in Wix's operations during the war and whether recent news headlines about the company firing employees for incendiary rhetoric concerning the conflict might change its approach to moderation overall. 
One more note before we start. This interview was recorded right before the chaos at OpenAI that led to Sam Altman's firing and rehiring in under a single week. You'll hear Avishai and I discuss OpenAI and ChatGPT in this conversation. Wix is an OpenAI customer and has been relying on that technology for quite some time. So just keep in mind that we had no idea what was about to happen when we had this conversation. Okay, Avishai Abrahami, CEO of Wix. Here we go. Avishai Abraham, you're the co-founder and CEO of Wix. Welcome to Decoder. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. You are talking to us from your offices in Tel Aviv. Thank you for making the time. I understand it's a very difficult time in Israel, but there's a lot to talk about. Let's start at the start. What is Wix? We've created Wix to enable everybody to create web content websites easily. As time evolves, right, the company also evolves. So we started by making you know, simple pages in the beginning in Flash, as it funny as it is now. We evolve now to enable you to actually create all of your business on Wix. So we'll do anything from different commerce transactions to scheduling to restaurant orders, all the way to managing your backend and that you have your customer list, ability to do marketing to your customers. So the full stack running a small or a larger business on the internet, while at the same time, if you just want to create two pages about something, you can still go to Wix and do it easily. In many ways, we try to make it a product that we always say it's not simple. It's if you know how to use PowerPoint or Excel, you should know how to use Wix. And if you think about Excel and PowerPoint are not necessarily very easy. They require some knowledge of computers. Yeah. Some skill in computers. But uh, if you have that, then you should be able to be able to create amazing things on Wix. And that was the goal. Excel and PowerPoint are actually really great comparisons, right? Almost anybody can do the very basic thing in those applications. And then I'm pretty sure at this point you can run Doom in Excel, right? It's a, it is a <laughs> programming language unto itself inside of there. Uh, that's real, by the way. I'm pretty sure you can. Is that how you think about the spread of Wix? Like all the way at the end, you should be able to create other applications inside of it? Yeah. Today, Wix actually include a very simple way to write JavaScript. So anything you can run on the web, you can actually build on top of Wix today. And uh, we'll do the backend and frontend hosting for you automatically, so you don't even have to know what it means. So in many ways, yes, if you can create Doom on the web, you should be able to create it on Wix, in Wix today. You're describing the customer set here as people who want to put up two pages and just say, oh, here's my CV, whatever, and then all the way to you run a restaurant, Wix is the application layer for your restaurant, yeah. you're doing your booking and you're billing in that. Is that a set of templates for people? Is that you've got a bunch of business types that you know you're going to service and you have people building that stuff? Or is it the restaurant owner has to build it themselves? We have, of course, templates, but that's mostly for the visual side. We also have an application for restaurants, right, that we built that enable you to do a lot of the things you need in a restaurant. We have another one that if you have a hair salon or a gym or e-commerce or a physical store. So we build those applications, you can install them on top of Wix and then it allow you to manage your business and, 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 and get orders, get reservations, manage events. Uh, all of this is separate application that you install on top of the Wix platform. And this all happens on the web, right? The, the thing I'm pushing at is there's the sort of front end web presence of business needs or someone needs. I just need to show you some information. I need to show you my menu, what times yeah. are open. And then there's, oh, I need to run my business using software. I need to manage the schedule of events. I need to book the classes and see who's coming. 
I need to do some outbound marketing on Facebook or whatever it is. Are you all the way through that? If I'm running a small gym and I'm like, I need some software to run my gym, you want people to think of Wix. Yes. In fact, if you have a gym, we can actually give you everything you need on the web, but also an application, right? A native iPhone or an Android application for tablet or for phone in which you can manage the memberships. You can see who sign in, who sign out. You can give an application to your members if you want. So uh, they can do reservation from your application now, essentially. So we give you the full stack to manage your business, the full software uh, stack, and it all connects and works well together. This is another important part of it. It's not a bunch of different software vendors that you have to integrate. So I think of Wix as a website builder, but you're saying this is much more a small business software solutions provider, right? You don't have to worry about running software or making an iOS app. You just skin some templates and we'll deploy code on all these platforms for you. Yep. I think that uh, beyond Intuit, we are number two in the amount of small businesses running on our platform. How many customers do you have? Is it mostly small business? Most of our customers are small businesses. We have enterprise customers as well, and we have people that do it privately, so like personal sites. But the majority, vast majority, of course, are small and tiny businesses. Is that a growth market? Do you see more and more small businesses saying, okay, we're going to start. It's a dry cleaner operation. I need some software. Just pull it off the shelf and go. Or are you having to go do outbound marketing? We actually do a lot of marketing because I think the brand is now getting so strong that our marketing just needs to support it. But uh, we have about 2 million signups every month. And how many people work at Wix? 5,000 and something. And most of them are in Israel or are you around the world? No, around the world. We have uh, about half in Israel, but uh, we have a lot of people in the United States, in Europe. Uh, so many different places. So let me ask some decoder questions here. You have been CEO of Wix since you founded it 17 years ago. You've... Obviously, you've grown to the size of all these employees around the world. You did just do some layoffs. How is Wix structured now, and how does that work? We did very little layoffs. What we did is that during COVID, the demand we got to our services was very big. So we needed to increase the support. As so we went from COVID and a peak in demand to a global economy slowdown, we found that we need less people in, 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 our, in the support department. So we let it, when people left, we didn't rehire, we did a bit of uh, layoffs. How is the company structured now? Is it, is it you just cut there, but is the structure the same? Yeah, well, the structure of the company is very similar to what it always been. And uh, the company is built around the fact that I am as a CEO, I always believe that my number one job is to hire very smart people and then to build startups where you have somebody who own a part in Wix and manage that as if it was a startup. And so this is how uh, Wix is built. So we'll have somebody, like for example, we have the editor, which is what you essentially build websites with. But then you have an application, for example, managing events, that will be its own uh, startup in essentially, meaning we try to make it as independent as possible. And to have one guy that of course is making the decision. And, and our job as management is to make all of those head off, right, of those startups within weeks work well together. So you have multiple divisions. So there's a restaurant business division. There's a, I don't know, a gym business division, a dry cleaner exactly. division. Exactly. I'm assuming you have not just like local small town. But I'm just thinking of businesses on my street. But you have div you have people in charge of those. Do they share code? How does that work? Yes, actually, one of the things we did 
uh, early on, we started by saying, okay, just code any way you want. And, and of course, that works very well in phase one, but works very badly in phase two and phase three. And so today we have a lot of infrastructure that is unified. For example, uh, we have a project called Nile, which is the a server architecture, which automates 95% of what you need to do when you build a server for a web application. So everybody's sharing that. And we migrated all the old projects in on top of that. Then we have a lot also on the front end, like we have a, the, all of the user interface libraries are unified. So we have a common language and common code. And if we fix the bug in one place, everybody enjoys that. And then we have rules like if you want to add a component to the visual thing, you have to, you have two choices. I, I don't use what we have already or you donate it and you build it and donate it so everybody can use it. All right. So it's always growing, but it's always unified. We do a lot in order to make sure that we work on the same code base as much as possible without slowing down everybody else. Yeah. I mean, this is, I think, the central tension of every platform that has multiple divisions and multiple different customer sets. Sometimes your customers probably don't have the same needs or even have opposing needs. How do you manage that conflict? As you said, it's always the trickier and harder part in, in when you have multiple divisions or multiple units working and you want each one of them want to do their own thing. But if each one of them do the same thing, it's going to be horrifying. And, and and I'll give you an example, right? If you look at how to build a web service, right? There's tons of blogs. There's like millions of resources on the internet. And they're fantastic when you need to build one. But when you have a thousand web services running, right? Now it's a very different problem. It's not the same problem. And if you look at the amount of information you have on how to do and maintain a thousand, it's actually almost non-existent. But every company that is going to a certain size is starting to accumulate all of those very quickly. And you're going to hand, end up having a hundred and then a thousand and two thousand. And if you don't start tackling it from a very early point, you find that you have a lot of migration to do, which is always very hard. And become, instead of like this agility that you get because everybody did what they want in the beginning, is actually becoming a terrible thing for agility, right? When you have 20 or 30 services and then when you have a thousand, you can, nothing can really happen. And so this is one of the most important things we, we, we tackled and it requires a lot of discipline. And now none of the developers like the concept of discipline, meaning you know, <laughs> this is how you do it. Especially and on the they, web. Well, anywhere. I think the developers, you know, they just read a very fantastic uh, post by somebody on how to do something in a much nicer or interesting way. And then they want to try it. They want to play with it. They want to build something with it. And suddenly it's like, oh no, this is how we do it. You have to do it like that. Or you have to upgrade the whole system for everybody. Okay. Which is a very pricey project. But after a while, what happened is that if I look at Nile, which is one example, and we have a few of those in the beginning, nobody want to use it. Right. And we actually had probably more people threatened to resign from Wix if we continue to work on that or do that than any other thing we ever did in the history of the company. But as that server infrastructure became more and more mature, now everybody just want to use that. So there is a point where the value of the platform is getting to this level that it become, Oh, I just want to do that. And then people start to at the same level of energy that they use to say, I will never use it. Now they say, well, yes, I absolutely <laughs> want to use it. And then it's another thing that happened. I want to go back and say, well, you know, I don't just want to work on this business logic in, in those applications. I actually want to go work on that infrastructure denial. And we have a bunch of projects like that, and we're seeing it pretty much continuously in all of them. You, you just have to be very patient 
and to make sure that your infrastructure is very developers friendly. And developer friendly means a lot of things, but once you get that right, I think it's very, very important. So you've got heads of business, right, who are working on the business logic for different categories. You've got infrastructure. You said it's about 5,000 people. How is that split? How big is each little division? It depends, right? I think the smallest one we have is about uh, 15. And is that engineering, design, product management? Is that like a standard little product team or how does that work? Yeah, exactly like that. You touched it exactly. And the concept is that they need to prove what they're doing is actually viable. So at some point, they come back and said, okay, look at the numbers. Obviously, there's an opportunity here. We're not thinking there's an opportunity. We can prove there is an opportunity. And from that point, we'll start to increase it in order to maximize that opportunity. And the largest one would be, I don't know, 190 people. Which one's that? Which, what is the smallest and what is the biggest? Well, the smallest one is a... In regards to uh, uh, education, things on the web, so how to do online classes. So there are a lot of things that are done there. I think that's the smallest one. And the largest one, I believe, is the editor team. That's the new editor, the Editor X. No. All of the editor group is managers one, and then it's broken into two small startups between below that. And that's the, here's the thing you actually use to make a Wix website. Yes. That team. Yes. The new one is called Studio, by the way. Wix Studio. Okay. Here's the classic decoder question. You've now been the CEO for 17 years, more than 17 years. How do you make decisions? It's one of those things, you know, a lot of time I talk to entrepreneurs and most of the time younger entrepreneurs, they talk to me about the fact that they make a lot of decisions every day. And and I usually say, well, I make probably four every quarter. <laughs> I, I think the, the number one thing is to understand that it's much better to make four every quarter than a dozen every day. Because I mostly try to delegate and, and to make sure that we know what are the rules, like how do we measure success, how I enable other people to make smart decisions, and that they'll come and tell me what they want to do. So, but essentially, it will be mostly their decisions and not mine. So it will be my responsibility, but their decisions. We have a full method of how to make decisions. So everything is measured, right? This is number one. We are fanatic about it. We measure everything. If you did something that... Uh, cannot be measured, then nothing happened. That's our philosophy. In fact, in a lot of the times, don't tell us about it. Like, don't come and show off a project that cannot be measured. You can come, by the way, and show us a project that you measured and had a negative effect. And you're going to get the same amount of cheers as you would for a project that had positive effects. Because we want to encourage that aggressiveness in, in testing and in going to new places. And so a lot of data we measure from conversion to what people are saying to customer feedback, to our customer support feedback. And, and from that, we're trying to create this big table of the thing we think we should be doing and try to assess their value. From this, we actually build the roadmaps. So this is one layer. The other layer is where we want to get to strategically. Where we want to get to strategically is another important part. And, and then we make sure that it's written, it's well understood, and then we broadcast it to everybody in the company. The tension I've always found there is that data can only tell you about the past. And big strategic thinking, big strategic bets, like your bet on AI, for example, there's no data that tells you that's going to happen. You just have to know. How do you manage that tension? This is part of what we call strategic, right? Because you can do those gradual changes, right? And the internet is a very good place for winning those small bets. But those small bits only take you that far. At some point, you need to change the rules of the game in order to go to the next jump so you can iterate again. I think that there is no single 
way to anticipate what kind of a change will happen. Sometimes there is some kind of way to assess things because you understand your customers very well. So I can tell you that if I build something in AI, okay, that will help my customer write blogs, I will definitely utilize my blogs because I know the pain is there because I can assess the pain that the customer have. But it's not always true. And I believe that that's fine. That's why I said it's okay to do things that won't make a big change. The only thing that is important about that is to recognize the fact that this might happen and to encourage that because you want to take big bets. But the number one metric that we have to predict the future is understanding what customers are saying. So if you're working at Wix and you're working product, we actually measure how many conversations you have with customers. And we used to actually really have a number for that. So we know exactly how many you had in order to encourage you to always do that because the most important work of a product guy is to understand the pain of their customers. My philosophy when it comes to building product, I think it's a bit different than most, but I'll say it, it's that everybody always used to tell me that the most important thing is to know who is the customer. And I think that who is the customer for, we spoke about Excel, who is the customer for Excel? Who is the, who is the <laughs> customer for Word? Who is the customer for an iPhone? Who is the customer for Chrome? Well, everybody, right? That's not a really good answer. But let me ask you, what are they trying to do? What is the guy using Word trying to do? What is the guy using Chrome trying to do? Suddenly, it's very easy to answer. I believe that to predict good product is to understand what is the customer trying to do and not who he is. And then when you understand what they're trying to do, to build something that makes it easy for him to do it or a fun for him to do it. And if you got that right, you can pretty much predict the future. We have to take a quick break. When we're back, Avishai and I get into what the rise of generative AI means for the web. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try, explore, connect, pivot, transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and, of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash innovate. Support for this podcast comes from HIMSS. It can be challenging for men to speak about their health, and whether that's a fear of being vulnerable or just wanting to keep things private, there are just some things we would just rather keep to ourselves. Hims knows how you feel, which is why they're looking to provide you the help you need discreetly. Hims is a men's healthcare brand looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash decoder. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash decoder for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash decoder. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash decoder for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. 
We're back with Wix CEO Avishai Abrahami to talk about generative AI and the future of the web. You're making a big bet on AI across the company. I am yeah. obsessed with what AI will do to the web. <laughs> this is why we, we started talking. Oh, yeah. um, because you've made this big bet, and I, I think everyone knows that I'm obsessed with the future of the web right now. That's something you had to impose, right? You had to go to all these product teams and say, all right, we're doing AI now. You're not all in your little silos. How did you execute a decision like that? Actually, that's an interesting story. My background is a developer, as you can probably guess from all the technical details. We started to work on AI-related project in 2014. And then in 2016, we released ADI, which is a AI that was creating websites. You told it a little bit and it created everything for you. It's very basic AI, not transformers and not, and not, not attention-based transformer, of course, that was actually invented in 2017, right, the algorithm. But it, it created decent website in, in seconds. But when I tried to get a company, like all the team to use AI-based project, it was very hard. And I think last year or a year ago, it became very easy. Everybody wanted to do something to do with <laughs> yeah. AI. So before I was an uphill battle, I think in many ways, I do believe that I think ADI was the first mass market product, at least that actually allowed people to create something with AI. I'm not sure about it. I think it was because millions of people used it. And we learned a lot for that interaction. I mean, we learn a lot. So I'm with you. I think that it's going to be a huge change, not just in the web and everything we do. Are you running on OpenAI's models? Do you have your own LLMs? How does that work? Well, well, we don't have our own LLM. I think that LLM, I, I, I hope Sam Altman won't get mad at me for saying that, but I think <laughs> LLM is a commodity and we don't have any advantage in making one of our own. I, of course, there are gaps. We are using OpenAI, which I think are the best currently, best in class at this stage. And, and we are very happy with the partnership with them. But I think long term, the difference between the quality of the text that you get from one to the other will continue to 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 shrink. How do you measure quality of text? I, I feel like you can measure quality of code, which when I talk to people, everyone is very excited about the programming aspect of LLMs. My view about the text aspect is it is a C plus and that's where it tops out. How do you measure quality of text versus quality of code? We have a way to look at it, right? We see how much of our customers are actually happy about it. And when talking about our numbers, it's a pretty decent way to measure it. But to be fair, we never tried to use BARD or any of the other ones. We use OpenAI from, I think, yeah. from almost a year now, more than a year now. So OpenAI is a cost, right? It's you, yeah. You're obviously paying them. You're reselling whatever they're giving you to your customers. You're obviously making a margin. We're actually sponsoring it at this stage for our customers because the value in the conversion is such that it's worth our time. Okay, but at some point, you're going to charge for it, right? You're going to put a margin mm -hmm. on top of that service, or you don't think so? I don't think so. I've, maybe to some things, but essentially, if you come to Wix today, you can have Wix as OpenAI to fill the template with the content that is relevant to you and to create a lot of different things with the content that is relevant to you, all using OpenAI. And the value in the conversion from free to paying that we get is higher than what we pay to OpenAI. So I prefer actually to keep it free. And you think that cost is going to come down, right? The OpenAI cost is going to come down, or you'll be able to go to the market and say, okay, this is a commodity now. Who's the cheapest and the quality level will be the same? Yeah, uh, well, uh, I hope to stay with OpenAI because, you know, I've been in the partner for a long time, but uh, but I do believe that the cost will go down. What do you think about it? So let me reverse the question for a minute. I think the web is in an enormous amount of danger from tools like this, and we haven't quite reckoned with what happens when we take a statistical averaging of the web that existed until today and publish millions of more websites with it. 
and there's a there's a feedback loop in there where I don't know where the new ideas come from, and I don't know why anybody with new ideas would look at that state of things and choose the web over TikTok or over YouTube. There's something there that I think is really interesting and really fascinating and potentially really dangerous, which is probably why I think it's really interesting, but I haven't quite sorted it out in my mind. That's why I want to talk to so many CEOs of companies that make the web, because it feels like there needs to be some limiting principle on how much AI text we publish, because otherwise we're going to choke out all the people. But you have an interesting assumption here. Yeah. I agree with you on the uh, averaging thing. And I I agree with you on the fact that it's only recycled information, right? Uh, LLMs are not meant to invent information. But uh, you assume that it's not going to happen on TikTok and Instagram. Well, I believe that it's a matter of a year or a year and a half, and we're going to see it happening on Instagram and TikTok. So most of what you'll see on TikTok can be generated uh, with the equivalent of LLM that will, again, recycle information. Look, I don't disagree with you there. And, you know... YouTube has a new policy about deep fakes and taking them down. And all I think every platform is going to have to come up with some policy about AI-generated content or synthetic content. And I think that's a real tension for every platform. I'm saying specifically for the web, which is more or less a text-based platform, there's no way to detect it reliably. And then the recommendation engine for the web is Google, which is, I think, losing the war against SEO spam broadly. And so there's a, there's just a feedback loop on this platform that I think is different than the feedback loop on Instagram or TikTok. Now, let me ask, I'll ask you the question in a much more direct way. If you were a younger person today and you, were, and you have a great idea or you want to communicate or you want to build an audience, why on earth would you start a website instead of a TikTok channel? I think you should do both. But essentially, and, and I see examples every day, right? The combination is way more powerful than just one. Yeah. And a lot of people still go to Google and do a search. And TikTok, when you do a search, you're not necessarily going to get what you expect. On the web, you still get what you expect. I think the question of why there is a SEO bile is a really interesting one, because I think Google is way smarter than we give them credit there. Like, I don't believe that you can fool Google by changing your alt text to something, (laughs) okay? And for some reason, a lot of the time it does work. And obviously, there's like super smart engineers in Google. So I would think that a lot of it is on purpose. And I also probably have the luxury place of being in a, in the spot where I see more website than anybody else on the planet. And I know the results on Google. So I can see a lot of the thing behind it. I go, and I think there is, if Google will decide one day to remove fake content, there'll be no fake content in Google. Yeah. I, I really believe so. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm not. And I give them too much credit, but I think they're really smart engineers. But for your question, let's see, let's use a business, okay? Sure. Let's say that you, you, you said a gym, okay, before. If you're a gym, how do people go to check what's happening in your gym? You're not going to go to TikTok for that. <laughs> right? You're increasingly going to go to Instagram for that. I know dozens of restaurants in New York City that have horrible websites and their answer is go to facebook.com slash my restaurant or go to instagram.com slash my restaurant. Our menus are posted on Instagram daily. It's true. By the way, for a restaurant, it might be more true, but for a gym where you have the specific activities and events and thing you need to register to, it's not something you're going to do on Instagram. 
And by the way, for a well-managed restaurant, I would argue that a lot of the things you want to do, you need to be able to communicate with your customers more directly than hope that somehow the Instagram algorithm will push it to your customers. And I think for majority of businesses, that's the case. If you want to issue, by the way, a new makeup company for 12-year-old girls, you don't need a website. You definitely need to be on TikTok and Instagram. But for a lot of the other, if you're a doctor, if you're a, a gym, if you are a, a lot of the e-commerce businesses, I think you still find that your communication with the customer is essentially has to be something that you control. You're saying something here that I think is really important, right? Direct connection to customers. You know, I, I run a publisher. My, my whole thing is we need to have a direct relationship with our audience. People need to know us. They need to know the Verge. They need to trust us. That is us doing the work, right? If I start publishing lots of AI-generated articles, that trust is going to go down. I think people will sniff it out instantly. Yeah. If you're a doctor and you sign up for Wix and you let the AI fill out all the content on your website, you're just trying to convert them into showing up at your office so that you might personally build a connection with your patients. But that part where you're just doing content marketing that's the part that seems dangerous to me, right? It's all going to be kind of the same. It's all going to read kind of the same. Yeah, it's true. It might be in the same templates even. That's the thing I'm worried about, right? The differentiation there, even the text starts to collapse to the same thing. I agree. But but this is assuming they all just go in and click a button. Right? Yeah. And let me tell you, the number one lesson we learned from ADI, which you could go in and say, I'm a hairdresser from New Jersey, or I'm a doctor from Montana, right? And it will be a fantastic website. And then people didn't want that. What they wanted is to tell their story. So the most important part of ADI was not just the ability to build and immediately start with a template. It was actually going in and editing that to your picture, to your images, to your story, okay, and helping our customer achieve that. Once we got that right, it became a very successful product. But the magic of the AI was really inspiring to see, but it didn't let people take their story and put it on the web. And I think that was a huge difference. And, and so from that, what I learned is that it's actually a proof to your point, right? Which is to make even our customers, not their customers, happy. They need to be able to tell their story, their personal story. Yeah. And so, you know, I can generate on a, on me journey an amazing pictures of dishes in a restaurant. A fantastic looking dishes and, and an amazing restaurant. But if it's not the real restaurant, it doesn't really help. So they want to take their images, right? They want to take that to tell the story of the chef, to tell the story of why they do it. And I think a lot of that, okay, is really important and needs to be carried into the the story. The, the good thing is that it's very easy to see that the text is written by AI. I hope so. I'm not, I'm not sure everyone can see it. I can see it. I'm not sure everyone can see it. Well, for machines. For machines, it's yeah. very easy. You think so? It, Wait, so actually, I'm not sure about that either. OpenAI had a tool and they had to pull it down because it was inaccurate. Yeah, but because it's trying to predict 100%. Mm -hmm. and, and to predict 100% is very hard. But to see that almost always the next word is the most likely word to be, or one of the 20 most likely word to be, or one of the 1,000 more likely words to be, is, is so I would imagine that Google, when Google decide to know that, they know it. Do you sell your customers on you will rank highly in Google if you use Wix? Is that a is that a part of your marketing? Is that a part of your value proposition? We don't sell it that like that because it's you can never guarantee that. Mm -hmm. And and if you want to do a, a I'm a restaurant in New York, and and to tell you that you're going to be number one ranking, right? It, 
it's a it, it's a lie. I mean, you might, but but it's not honest. I can say without a doubt that uh, Wix probably today is the best platform to be ranked by Google. And and it's an interesting. You know, when I actually asked Google about it, I got a very interesting explanation, which is uh, you can hardly do any fake SEO things on Wix. So the websites are very honest. The SEO engine, look at them the way the website is. Right? Well, if you look at other platforms, right, especially the open source one, it's very easy to do a lot of fake stuff. <laughs> now, one of the parameters that the bot has, the SEO AI, because it's all AI today, right? is what is the platform? If you look at all the open source one, they always, a lot of them look better than they really are, right? So they have this thing that they look better. But Google and Wix sites look exactly where they should be. So what happened is that the bird learns it because it keeps testing how people interact with the content, with the website. So they actually get this penalty on relative base to a Wix website. And so the result, and it's not just Wix, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Squarespace will have the same phenomena, right? Mm -hmm. So if you build a site with a platform that is very clean, you actually get a positive, on a relative basis, you get a positive uh, ranking. Boost. How much do, How much time do you spend thinking about SEO? Well, I used to do a lot because I really wanted to understand it. But uh, now it's time, uh, I think I understand the basics of it and the principles <laughs> of it. So we have this very smart team that is doing that. How big is that team? How big is the Wix SEO team? I think overall it's about almost 50. And this is a lot of them, their effort is mostly about our customers' websites, not our website. We use Wix to build Wix, right? So when we need something in SEO, everybody gets it. All of our customers get it. And how would you characterize your relationship with Google? I'm mostly friendly. We are a big customer. We are the biggest reseller, as far as I know, of Google, uh, of uh, Gmail. And so I think pretty friendly. As much as you can be friendly with Google. Yeah, I'm just asking because, you know, again, Google search is the biggest referral engine for every website, essentially. Yeah. As they do more and more of the search generative experience, they start answering the queries with AI, that referral traffic starts to drop, that ranking question gets a little more contentious. I'm wondering if you've seen any change or you've detected a change from your customers. Not yet, but I think that it will actually be a beneficial thing. Because if you look at, like, website that, compete on exactly the same thing. Yeah, it's not so good to be, right, for, for those websites. But if you look at most of our customers, which have real substantial businesses, right, then Google being able to uh, to find them and, 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 and get the, some of the content easily to the search side and then allow you to go and do the reservation and order, either on the website or on Google, it's actually going to be beneficial for our customers. So I think overall, it's a good thing. So I have been talking to other CEOs of web companies. I had Squarespace CEO Anthony Castellano on the show. I had WordPress's Matt Mullenweg. I think when you say the open source ones, you're talking about WordPress. Um, he might yeah, take exception There to is that. a few open source platforms. I'm not going to be picking which one. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but there are those that have a huge amount of SEO plugins. We try yeah. to make your site look better than it is, right? And the result is that all of the other ones are using the same platform will be affected by that. So every time you do that, you're affecting everybody and taking everybody a bit down. Yeah. And then Squarespace doesn't do it, right? So their website, when the AI look at them, it knows that what it is, it is what it is. And, and it's a huge difference. 
So Anthony Castellano, the CEO of Squarespace, I asked him the same question. Why would anybody start a website instead of a TikTok channel if you're young? And he said, well, look, everyone starts a TikTok channel or an Instagram channel. And then the reason you need a website is because you're doing e-commerce and you don't want to pay a 30% fee to Instagram or Apple or whoever it is. You want to kick people out to the web and do the transaction there so you can take 100% of the revenue. I, look, I think that's honest. I think that's direct. I think that is the right answer. I think it makes economic sense. It felt to me very cynical, right? The only thing we need the web for is lower transaction rates. So we don't say it like that. We don't yeah. see it in our customers. And and mm -hmm. if you look at the, a lot of them, it's more about the fact that they need a relationship. And I think that is essential. I think still most people, if they want to find something, they still go to Google. They yeah. don't go to Instagram and start doing searches for local things. That's changing though, right? The, the the data shows that younger people are starting to use TikTok for search instead of Google. Yeah, but for what? For, for search. restaurants. For restaurants. I mean, it's the same as you. What is the customer trying to do? No, they're trying, to, they're trying to find things. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, you're not looking for your gym probably on, your, on, on TikTok. Maybe you do. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, we don't see decline in traffic. Yeah. I might be wrong, but I think I have the most broad view on the planet, except Google, right? Because we have more website than anybody else that we actually yeah. manage. And uh, I think we're about twice the size of Squarespace in terms of sites. Do you have a hedge against a big change to Google search? Is there something in the back of your mind that you're paranoid about? I'm not actually, I, I'm not so concerned. I never understand the concern here so much. Yeah. If you can explain to me the concern better, maybe I'll know what. I think the concern generally from publishers I've talked to, from website owners that I know, is that Google's search referrals are the last source of big referral traffic on the web. Right, Facebook doesn't send you any traffic anymore. TikTok never did. Twitter never really did, actually. So you have one thing left. And as that declines, because Google is going to do more and more AI-written summaries of search results, that you will have to find another business, that you will have to find another source of traffic or pivot to another revenue platform. And that has effects up and downstream, right? It has effects on the publishers themselves. It has effects on the business themselves. And it would have an effect on you, because if your customer's traffic starts to decline, your, your revenues would start to decline. Of course, of course. But I think that's a lot of it is mostly for publishers. Yeah. And I think publishers, yeah, they do have an issue and we know that, right? Because uh, they used to be able to publish their article on, on, on Facebook and then get people to come to their website. And that stopped because Facebook stopped it. TikTok never did it, as you mentioned. But I think small businesses are in a bit of a different place. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong, but we don't see a difference in the amount of traffic that is coming. In fact, over time, we see an increase. Yeah. And I think that AI that is able to, if Google Bard become a tool on the internet where you're able to do a lot of the transaction from Bard itself, it's a good thing for small, small businesses because you're still going to need your business stack, right? You're still going to need to do the transaction, the registration to events. You still need to be able to say, oh, we have a discount. You still need to be able to do, okay, you can buy this and get that. You still need to manage the whole offering, your story. The story that Bard tells, right? Unless Bard is going to be a way for you to start composing the content as well. You know, you still need to be able to tell your story, your images, your content, your product, your sales, your off special offers. And, and if Bard is able to communicate with that and increase conversion for small businesses, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And by the way, fantastic for us as well. Right. Cause you would be the provider of all that business. Yeah. Logic, so I think that's hopefully, you know, we're going to see more and more of that and not less of that. If I would have a, a publisher that tries to, if I would be the New York Times, I would, uh, I would have a lot of concerns, but that's a different yeah. story.
They're pretty bad over there from what I gather. You will notice, by the way, that almost every demo Google does a Bard ends in a transaction. They're very focused on it. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I know, I know. But I think that's great. You know, I think really, I, I really believe that this can help a lot of our, a lot of our customers. I, I, I'm not sure, by the way, what's going to be the business model. That's another interesting thing. I think they're going to take a cut of all those transactions. I, I, I think this is the thing people worry about, right? They're going to shift the business model. They're, Google's not bad at making money. Yeah, but they usually kind of like make money out of two things, right? Advertisement on YouTube and advertisement on the web. And, and, and the cost of most advertising is higher than the value of the transaction. Uh, meaning that you always, in a lot of businesses, you actually make money on the second transaction. Yeah. So you're trying to capture the customer, but the cost of the ad is much higher than the f- value of the first transaction. So taking 30% of that would mean that they cut their revenues by about 80%. I don't, I'm not sure I understand how that would work, but they're smart guys. As I said, they're really smart people <laughs> there. We need to take another break. When we return, Avishai and I get into some difficult questions about moderating speech on the internet. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. We're back with Wix CEO Avishai Abrahami to talk about online moderation and where Wix stands relative to other tech platforms. I want to end here by talking about the bigger picture, right? Wix is an Israeli company. You're an Israeli CEO. There's a, a war going on. You performed your compulsory military service in a very famous intelligence unit called Unit 8200. What is it like for you right now running your company in Israel? You know, so we... Said COVID, which here, you know, it was a, a, a big thing, not in Israel specifically, but for Wix, because we had all those people that joined Wix and really needed us. And in many ways, we had our own small war of assisting millions and millions of small businesses survive through COVID. Then we had about a thousand employees in Ukraine. Right? So we had a war in Ukraine. And now we have this one here. So I, I got to say, those are very couple hard, a uh, couple of years. And I really hope the next year will be very boring. Uh, no big wars, no big plagues. It's, of course, to say that we are more practiced now in how to handle such crises, it's a, pretty much a sad thing. Yeah. And, and so I think Wix is, is a strong company. We have international teams, local teams. And I think we are in a place that we can navigate that in in the best way we can at this stage. So again, we started talking about this conversation a while ago. And even just in doing the research, there's some whiplash here. You know, to several months ago, 
I would have asked you about your employees joining a general strike, protesting the changes to the judiciary in Israel. There were ads around that move taken out in all the major newspapers, full page blackout ads calling the Netanyahu government's moves around the judiciary. And this is a quote, a black day for democracy. You know, executives from Wix were in Wired magazine saying we have to support liberal democracy. We have to fight for what's right. We have to make we have to make Israel a good democracy. Here we are now in November. The the war is on. And inside of Wix, there have been Slack channels called supporting Israeli narrative. That is pretty intense whiplash, right? About, about sure the company's relationship to the government. How are you managing that? Well, I think that, you know, at this stage, what we do is trying to focus on helping humanitarian aid as much as we can locally here. And it's something that you don't know. We actually have people working for weeks in the West Bank. Think about that for a minute, right? We have people, it's the same thing as we have in, in, in Ukraine. It's like, I think our goal as a company is to focus on the human side and to do our best to help the humanitarian efforts and supporting food and for people that were evacuated from homes and, 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 and do what we can to do that. What is your relationship to the government of Israel like? Right Before it was fairly opposed, right? You're saying that your employees at least were saying, we don't like these moves this government is making. And now it feels like nationalistically it has to be different. We have employees, I think, from both sides. We have here non-religious Jewish, Orthodox Jewish, Arabs, Muslim Arabs working at Wix. We have all of the different kind of colors. And I think that's a good thing. Personally, I'm not a political figure. I don't know a lot about the reform and the suggested reforms. I think democracy as a value is a super important one. We should do everything we can to make sure that democracy is is maintained here and by the way, spread around the world. So but here's the part that I think is very complicated for any tech CEO in your position, right? You make a platform that publishes speech. You have content rules. I went and looked at the form for reporting bad Wix websites today. You can report a Wix website for having hate speech on it or harassing people. Yes, it's true. Is there content you would not allow on Wix related to the war? Yeah, absolutely. Every hate speech. So hate speech. So if I make a pro-Palestinian website, that's allowed on Wix. Many. I'm not trying. By the way, I want to be clear. You know, I think that if you go to Israel, 90% of people are pro-Palestinian. We just don't think that Hamas is pro-Palestinians. Yeah. I think there is a big difference. I think Biden was the one emphasizing that. And I think our goal as a publisher platform is to make sure that hate speech, racism, on every kind of its forms is not something that is on our platform. And there are other things, right? By the way, if you upload pedophiles, pedophiles uh, content, we're not just going to remove it, we're also going to report it to the FBI. Yeah. Right? And this is, I think, some of our moral obligation, and we need to maintain that. As an Israeli company, do you feel pressure from the Israeli government to support the Israeli narrative? No, actually. Absolutely not. Is there a line for you that you can point to that says, okay, here's where pro-Palestinian bleeds into being pro-Hamas and we won't allow this? I'm not sure I understand. The... So if I publish a website and I'm, it's a pro-Palestinian website, you're saying that's allowed on Wix. Is there a yeah. line in the content of that website where you would say, okay, this is no longer allowed, this is pro- pro-Hamas? Well, I think it's kind of obvious. Okay. But if you go around here and talk to most of the Palestinians, they're not in support of Sure. Of Hamas. And but let me, let me give you a very specific example. There's uh, okay. uh, yesterday, my friend Casey Newton published in Platformer a story about uh, Etsy. 
And Etsy has made the decision, a big decision, to no longer allow merchandise that has the words from the river to the sea on it. This is obviously a loaded phrase. Hate speech destruction of Israel calling to the destruction of Israel, yes. Would you allow a website with that phrase on it? No. This, I mean, again, Etsy had to take a huge process review to do this because the I, meaning I, I, of that phrase has changed over time. Would you allow a website did, with that phrase on it? How does the meaning of that phrase change over time? Well, from the 60s to now, it has changed. It is being used in a different way now that I think is very loaded. I think on Etsy, where there's not a lot of context, it's just T-shirts, they're saying, look, we we can't offer I, people I, the context I, I, of this phrase. I, I think you're making me very uncomfortable now. I would rather Well, not. I'm just asking, I mean, this is the thing you do, right? You you have to publish people's websites. Here is a phrase that some people might want to publish. Would they there be allowed a, to publish that I, phrase I'm not on sure Wix? how the meaning changed. There is the same river, you know, this river has been for very long. How did the meaning change from the 60s to now? I don't think it always is, implied the destruction of Israel. I think a lot of people would argue that it, it doesn't even now when they want to use it, but there that is, is that secondary meaning now, and that is a very important meaning, and some platforms are saying, only, look, we don't even want Israel to be associated with it. only exists from the river to the sea. There is no other thing. I, I understand. So you're saying that would not be allowed? Actually, I haven't checked. Okay. I haven't checked that. I trust my team to do what is right, but uh, I haven't specifically checked that. Is there a difference between how you think about the speech that is published on your products and the speech inside the company? There is a report that an employee in Ireland was fired for posting some pretty incendiary things about the war in Israel. They called Israel a terrorist state and they were fired. Is that is there a difference there? Would you allow that to be published on Wix, but you don't allow it in, inside your own company? I, I got to tell you, no, she was not published because of the context of the political context. Is that when... You call a terrorist to somebody who's a colleague of yours while his family has been kidnapped or assassinated, we look at you as a bit of an asshole. <laughs> and we have a policy that we don't hire or employ assholes. Yeah. And we were very clear on the behavioral side of that. The employees should have whatever political opinion they want. Yeah, I'm just I'm wondering, right, because as a, as where you sit in the moderation stack is very important. Right. So I would not expect a company like Cloudflare to scan all the bits on its network and, and remove that content. I might expect a platform company like Etsy to remove that that content or even a social network like Meta or X or something to say, look, we have a policy around this phrase. It's very loaded. We don't want it here. I, You're uh, right in the middle, right? You're in a very blurry place in the middle of those things. And I'm I just curious so. where you think. I actually, I actually don't agree with you. You don't think so? I think that the obligation to remove hate speech Mm-hmm. is not a blurry place. Okay. I think it's a very, uh, it's a very clear place. And and I think that the difference most of the time is very obvious. And we, by the way, we would remove a lot of things that if we had a KKK website, it's a real story. Yeah. That it is nice, you know, the people give us the uh, worse uh, reputation. We are the new level, new kind of KKK. And, and we want to sell those things. Look at them. None of them is about hate speech. We wouldn't allow that because yeah. it's very obvious. I, I don't necessarily agree with you on the fact that we are in a blurry place and on Wix and understand. We are very clear that you use a software for anything you want. Don't spread hate. Don't spend pedophiles. Don't do uh, scam sites. Don't do. Any of those things. Here's what I'll say. I, that is more clarity from a platform CEO than I've heard in a long time. I've had other platform CEOs on and I've asked similar questions. And there is, I think, immediate retreat 
to ambiguity or the need for a law or someone else should do it or we're not going to discuss our, our rules in that way. It seems like you have a lot of clarity here. Do you think that clarity has been heightened by the war? Do you think that it is no, been uh, shaped way, no, by it? No, no. I think that our policy has been existing for a very long time. Yeah. And, and by the way, we are very proud of it. One of the reasons we never went into China, which is probably cost us a lot of money, is that it was obvious what it requires, what it entitled. And we felt that this is something that we can do with our values. And I think that's another example. So that was always a part. You can do what really almost anything you want to do with Wix. You want to build porn side. That's fine. You know, we're not going to take it down. We're not going to tell you anything. But once you cross the line and that line is very clear, hate speech, it's pedophiles, it's, 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 it's a scam site, spam sites, a lot of other things. We will immediately do our best to remove you. And, uh, and I think it's very sad that this is not a bigger phenomenon. I mean, that creates a lot of negative things on the planet. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, in the United States, there's a big debate about where you would put these regulations, right? I, I think it is totally inappropriate for us to put speech regulations on internet service providers. So AT&T or Comcast or whoever, right, we should not control what goes through the pipes. It's too hard for people to see. It's not a competitive space here. One level up at Cloudflare, right? There's a lot of angst at the sort of Cloudflare level of service providers about content regulation, what sites they might leave up or take down or service. You get all the way up to Instagram. They have a ton of rules and they are happy to tell you what they are and what you can and cannot do there. And that's a more competitive spec for consumers. I understand you're saying you don't think it's blurry, but can you at least put yourself in the stack somewhere? Where do you think you sit in terms of how many rules you should have and should not have? Well, we should have less rules than Instagram. I do understand why you don't have porn on Instagram, right? because kids are exposed to that and, and other people that might be surprised by that. So I think that the amount of safety that they should impose on content is much higher than us, which is on the web. However, uh, I do believe that in many ways we're a publishing tool like Instagram, and, and so in many ways, you know, we have the same similar responsibility just on a smaller scale. I think that is a good thing that we are seeing companies making sure that they provide quality, which is not propagating hate or other terrible things, yeah. and instead trying to mediate that. I agree with you that I don't think it should be imposed by the internet providers or by Amazon, AWS, right? I think that that is uh, maybe one level too low. Everybody always talk about free speech, but free speech is illegal in most countries, including the United States. You cannot go and say anything you want. And if you do say a lot of things and somebody will kill you, it will be acceptable, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe for good reasons. So I think mean, like every ideal, right? Free speech is a beautiful uh, ideal, but then apparently people need to manage it. Yeah. I mean, I, this is the central tension, I think, of the entire internet. When you think yeah. about letting people use AI to write the copy on websites, do you think about responsibility there? Right now, it's not necessarily your customer speech. It is Wix's speech delivered to them through an open AI model. Have you put content moderation tools in that loop? We do some things there, yes. But we never felt that there is too much of a need. We didn't see examples where we needed to really do a lot there. So not as much maybe as uh, you might think, but I think OpenAI is doing a really good job at that. 
that uh, it's very hard to get the model to say something that is not uh, politically correct. Yeah, that is true. And they've been criticized for it, which is interesting. By the way, that's a, a very good question. I mean, should OpenAI, how much they should impose that? That's even a more interesting question than Instagram or Wix. This, especially as they begin to publish more and more of the web. I, again, I yeah. think this is the most interesting question yeah. that you can ask about the modern internet, right? And who gets to control what and when and those forces and who will have the clarity to just say what they think. To me, it, right, it all lands on a company like Wix, which is the underlying platform for so many people and businesses, but the vast majority of them, actually. Well, I think OpenAI, right? It, it's really interesting what is like, should it, is it okay that they are very, uh, well, kind of, I don't know, in my mind, I'm biased into one, like, very liberal opinion, which I share a lot of it, so maybe it's a good thing for me, my personally, but is that okay that they remove a lot of the other side? I don't know. What do you think? I think that OpenAI is being very careful, and I think, ideally, in a free market, other people will be less careful, and the market will pick the one that is more careful. <laughs> we will see if that works, right? Like That has been the case, for example, for social networks. The market routinely picks the social networks with more moderation, even as other people yell and scream that what people want is totally unfettered speech on these networks. People, in reality, head towards the most heavily moderated networks. Over and over and over again. And I, I'm curious to see if that plays out in the transformer space. Also, in, very interesting. You think that essentially it might not be the best thing for free, free speech, but it's definitely the best thing for the business of OpenAI long term. Yeah, I think the demands of the market in free speech are often in tension. And I think people pick the most comfortable experiences they can have on the internet. And those are often the most moderated ones. Never thought about it like that. I think that's really interesting. I think that, uh, by the way, I think I do agree with you. I think that the more uh, uh, LLMs write the content that most of us read, it should be even more uh, sensitive than uh, than Instagram or yeah. Facebook. You know, it's interesting. They're careful when it comes to political correctness. They're not careful when it comes to factual accuracy, right? These are LMs that constantly make mistakes. And there's intention there too, because the market does not correct for the truth. I, I, I got to tell you something. It's like, I'm, I'm the opposite of everybody yeah. else about hallucinations. Yeah. I think the hallucinations are the best part about LLM. Because I think hallucinations are when the LLM is creative. Interesting. And I think that this is the only spark of intelligence we actually see there. I think the rest of it, it's just those, you know, compressed data in the neurons that is get coming out. But when it comes to inventing things, this is where it kind of uses the equivalent of intuition to create low-level intelligence. So I've, I'm actually the more more impressed in that. And it's true that you cannot trust the facts that it gives you, right? But uh, and and there's a good chance it's going to take a long time to fix that because hallucinations are essentially a huge part of the algorithm. But uh, I, I still, I think that's, for me, it's the most fascinating part of the algorithm. Well, I cannot wait for Wix to publish an entire website made of hallucinations. I think that'd be pretty good. <laughs> Actually, you can probably do that already. But <laughs> I think that uh, we have a new version coming, which is an AI that actually fully creates a website for you. Yeah. And, uh, and so it's like a very, very modern generation of ADI that we did in 2016. And uh, maybe we can give it a mode to make everything hallucinated. <laughs> Just you're a you're a doctor, but let's make everything up. <laughs> is that is that something you have to think about? Right? Okay, we're we have a bunch of business clients. We should not hallucinate facts about their business. Is that a control that you have, or something you're thinking about? 
Well, yeah, of course. This is a, actually one of the big things that we always have to work with. And and we, to make sure that it's obvious what is a text that was written for the business owner. What is a text that it should review and what is the text it shouldn't review? And how do we allow them to give them tools to fix it and, and to correct things and to make sure that they don't repeat? And, and this is even getting more complex in some of our projects where it's not just one interaction, but multiples. But I think everybody who's using LLMs for anything real is facing similar, uh, similar uh, challenges. Yeah. And, and the, the issue is that, right? The hallucination is essentially a huge part of the algorithm. It's going to be very hard to take it out and getting something that is factually corrected without just going around and doing searching if that's the correct answer by doing search. I'm obsessed with this entire situation right now. Uh, you mean about the... AI and, and the web. I'm obviously, obviously very interested in free speech, but the, and there's a real tension there, right? If almost all the speech on the web is created by an AI that OpenAI is but making it's careful. Still, you know, yeah. and this is a... I think that from what I understand, currently there's probably around... 8 million bots mm-hmm. running and managing most of the messaging on the internet. Yeah. Which is insane. Think about <laughs> it. Just think about it. You know, you're having conversation on things and the, the one who push agendas yeah. are bots run by AI models, not humans anymore. And and and, and this is like, what are we are at version 0.1. We are not even in version one of that. I think that in 10 years from today, human mind will be so heavily influenced by bots and by AI models that we can't even imagine that. And that is really scary because, so I think it's super fascinating. It's really going to be probably one of the most important subjects of 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 the near future. My firm belief is that there will be an internet for robots and an internet for people, and the people will not allow the robots on the internet. And the market will actually demand people. How do you how do you distinguish? I don't know. I, I but I see that split. I can see it in our own audience. I can see it in the products and services that I want to use. I can see it from my friends that everyone would rather have a person than a bot, even if the bot is very convincing. Everyone would rather read a person than LLM output. And I think it's actually different. I think what's interesting right now is the engineers that I talk to. They love the code, right? They love that it can do programming with them. And then the people that I talk to, like the non-engineers, are looking at the written output and they're like, this is horrible. Like, I'm going to use an LLM to write an email to someone who's going to have an LLM read the email and write an LLM email back to me. Like, that is a disaster loop. And we'd rather just have people. And I think there's a real split coming. But wait, but I, I got to say, you know, so I love the coding thing. I love Copilot. Yeah. I really, it's, I think it's fantastic. Especially when you're old like me and and you don't code every day, <laughs> then then what happens is that you don't remember the syntax all the time and it just does it for you immediately. That's fantastic. But I also use it. You know, English is not my first language, and and for me, when I write something and I want to make it a bit better, I use ChatGPT for that, and, yeah. and that's really helpful, right? But it's usually my message, right? So I I gotta say, you know, I think both uh, uses are fine, and and yes, probably I would love to hear your interview. Uh, with you and not <laughs> and not with an AI who tried to do the average of what you said over all the conversation that it, it trained on. That probably going to be extremely boring, right? Yeah. But uh, I hope so. I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. We're seeing, you know, I think the Trump election was the first one where we've seen massive effect of a bots on a, 
or at least we suspected, I don't know if it's true or not, I uh, never managed to understand, on the uh, election. And, and I think it's just growing every day. I think we're seeing it every day that they give me more and more influence of uh, uh, bots on a human, on a life, on opinions, on, on, on creation of human interaction, on, on fake news, on so many other things. It, it's, it's really, in many ways, as you said, scary. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I think the market will pick. If I was starting a social network today, I would say I'm starting a social network and we will not have bots. How? And that will, I think that'll be very difficult to do. But I don't think how? that'll be. That, that's what concerns me. I'm not sure I understand how. I mean, there's there's stuff you can do that's very uncomfortable, right? You can do a bunch of driver's license verification. You can have people show up to an like office it. and put their thumbprint on something. There's, there's <laughs> like all right, this all stuff right. you can do, all right? You right? can do that. You yeah, can do that. Okay, right? You can right. link it to a Facebook profile and uh, well, those uh, piggyback, are piggyback on Facebook's both, verification. Right? There's like There's stuff you can do. I don't know if any of it will be successful. I don't know if any of it will be good. But there are attempts to do this thing that I think are somewhat fascinating. I tend to believe that it will be necessarily because if not, we're going to be in a place that most of our con online conversation are going to be not with humans. Yeah. I think we both can agree on that. You know, LLM is what? The first article was written in 2017, right? Yeah. That, that is transform-based uh, architecture. And where are Attention what? is all you need, right? That's the- Yeah, attention yeah. is all you need. And we are like, just starting. We're not even version, like as I said, 0, 0.1. And it could already imitate behavior completely. Uh, again, with very processed and repetitive information, but can carry very clear messaging. And and what will happen in 10 years? We're going to have uh, just, just, you know, the amount of resources placed into that now is exponentially bigger than it was in 2018 or 19 or 20, right? Yeah. And, and it's keep growing. And of course, you can have you can now make full Instagram profiles of people that don't exist and images from them everywhere. Instagram doesn't love it. I think they're going to have to figure out a way to detect that stuff. YouTube is trying to detect that stuff. But I really do, my belief, maybe this is my hope because I'm a person who writes, but my belief is that the market will put a premium on people and that will actually have like a number of crazy downstream effects. I, I really hope so. Because it's if not, it's going to be a, a concern. I always say and tell my wife that I think uh, we should make sure that the daughter has a profession that is AI resistant. Yeah. Resilient. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, well, she should probably My mom still asked me if I should be a doctor. She's like, the world will always <laughs> need doctors. And I'm like, I'm old, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> oh, I should tell her that actually doctors are probably not AI resilient. Oh, no. <laughs> actually, it will be replaced by AI at some point. And, oh, no. uh, and, uh, and, 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 but, but so I always said, you know, a uh, uh, PlayStation uh, professional player. Yeah. And there she has an advantage as a girl, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, they have advantage. And then, uh, and then a TikTok influencer, but apparently a TikTok influencer can be replaced by AI. So maybe that's not going to work. I wish you've given me so much more time than I asked for. I really appreciate it. What's next for Wix? What should people be looking for? I think number one is that we're going to see some really cool projects built with AI that are coming. Right? And uh, we spoke about them and I'm very excited. The first one that we've released have seen tremendous results measurable results so the first couple of projects which i'm very excited about uh, so more than once i was surprised by how much of a difference it made or how engaged people are with ai models we're going to continue to evolve wix studio which is a, a developers a, a agencies product for agencies uh, it's been doing very well so far just launched it and i think the next version is actually going to have 
some really interesting way of how to manage your data and design. Again, power, some of it is powered by AI, some of it by algorithms, but I think there's a lot of really cool things that you can change. So a lot of that. All right. Well, I look forward to the entire next version of The Verge being published by AI and Wix. I think it'll be a good time. Thank you so much for being on, Decoder. Yeah, a pleasure. Cheers. I'd like to thank Wix CEO Avishai Abrahami for taking the time to speak with us, and thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. We're planning to bring you more episodes of Decoder every week very soon, and I'd love to hear what you want us to do more of. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com. I really do read every email. Or you can hit me up directly on threads. I'm at reckless1280. We also have a TikTok. It's a lot of fun. Check it out. It's at DecoderPod. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Kate Cox and Nick Statt. It was edited by Callie Wright. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.